Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Okay, let's start in verse 23 where we left off. And remember the context is we're dealing with nations. We're dealing with the Goyim, the Gentiles versus the Jews, the nation of Israel. And uh, we talked about last week, we're not talking about the church. We're talking about Gentiles. And that's why the idea of being broken off, grafted in, is referring to them. So anyway, uh, Paul continues to go on and says, look, the, the Jewish nation has hope because he says in verse 23... And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, maybe I'm speaking to the choir, but again, who are we talking, who are we fighting against right now? We're fighting against Calvinism, okay? Calvinists say that whatever God decrees is decreed and can't change. So, if it's decreed, this is the way it's going to be. But notice the conditional phrases in verse 23. What does it say? What's the conditional phrase? If they do not continue, this whole thing will change. The blindness will stop. So can, can, can Israel or can uh, the Jewish nation stop their unbelief? Of course they can, the minute they believe. Now, again... We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about nation. So, so Israel is predicted to have their national regeneration in the future. So there's, that's, there's a plan and there's a purpose for what, the, what Israel's doing today, and we know where it's going. They will receive Messiah during the tribulation. So Paul continues on saying this, that, look, things can change. And he goes in verse 24, for if we... Uh, sorry, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature... And we're grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's making a comparison between Jew and Gentile. And the remember, what is the tree? The tree is the Abrahamic covenant. The tree is the Abrahamic covenant. It's, that's where the promises came to Abraham, and out of the Abrahamic covenant comes embryonically three other covenants, land, Davidic, and new. Now, the reason I'm not mentioning the Mosaic covenant, because the Mosaic covenant was temporary and conditional, but the Abrahamic, the new the land and the Davidic are what we call unilateral treaties, unilateral covenants. And the one uh, party will keep it regardless of how the other one acts. Now, the Mosaic covenant, just to contrast this, is, is conditional. If Israel behaves, they get blessed. If they don't, they get cursed. And eventually, they're kicked out of the land for violating the Mosaic covenant. But according to the Apostle Paul, the Mosaic covenant has now been rendered inoperative. The other covenants, Abrahamic, New, Land, Davidic, are still in operation. So is the Noahic covenant. That still in, uh, uh, applies now. Now, how the Noahic covenant will be satisfied is by the tribulation. 
for, for Gentiles who have violated the Noahic covenant, um, their penalty comes in the tribulation. So anyway, to be grafted in means to be grafted into the, the blessing part of the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant. Uh, that comes out of the Abrahamic covenant, and that's what you and I, remember we talked about it, partake of. You take of the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. <clears throat> the Jews, when they come to faith in the Messiah, will be grafted back into the tree, and then not only are they going to get the land, the Davidic, they are going to get both the physical and spiritual blessings of the new covenant, because the new covenant is made to Judah and Israel. And we are partakers of that now. That's, that's the, the mystery that we have been kind of grafted in as Gentiles into this. Um, this is the area of blessing. This is the area of salvation, okay? So like we talked about last time, I, th- I think it was last week, we talked about spheres of where God's grace is, right? And so Paul will tell the Galatians that you have fallen from grace. It means they're not operating in the sphere of grace. Okay, to be in the place of blessing is not what the hyper-charismatics tell you at Bethel Redding, that cult up there. The place of blessing is where God says the place of blessing is, and the place of blessing is where the unilateral covenants are. For us, the Abrahamic new spiritual aspects is the place of blessing. Now, the Gentiles, just like the Jews at any point in time, can put themselves in that place of blessing by coming to faith in the Messiah, right? That's how you put yourself in that place of blessability. And hence, that's what Paul has mentioned, that if the Gentiles stop doing this, stop putting themselves into the place of blessability by not coming to faith in the Messiah, then something will happen. So let's, keep, let's continue to read. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So what does a mystery mean? Mystery means that it was not revealed in the Old Testament, that it's now being revealed under new revelation in the New Testament, okay? So this wasn't spoken of. No one knew this in the Old Testament. And he says, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. But here's the mystery. And the mystery is that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This was not talked about. Now, what does it mean that blindness in part? It means that the majority of Israel has blinded themselves. Blinding is a penalty after unbelief. If you stubbornly refuse after you have the evidence standing right in your face, which was Jesus right in their face, right, doing miracles, then the penalty for refusing that truth is, is blindness or hardening or, or whatnot. Okay, you can escape blindness, you can escape hardening anytime you want to. It's your choice, and you can come back to faith. It's on you. You're responsible for that. But you will suffer the consequences for refusing that truth if you refuse to repent. And, and I'm using the word repent as change your mind about things. Okay, so the part that is not blinded in Israel is obviously the remnant of Israel, okay? We talked about that. So that's why it's in part. So what was talked about is that in the Old Testament is that Israel was going to be temporarily set aside for quite a while, apparently, and that this new body would form, called the ecclesia, the called out ones, 
and form the body of the Messiah, which would include Jew and Gentile, the Jewish element being the remnant of Israel and occupying a place in the body of Christ. So a Jew occupies two places. The Gentiles, they'll be engrafted into through the body of Christ. Okay. But notice the last phrase, until the what? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Again, we're not talking about the church. We're talking about Gentiles being saved. Now, yes, they when they get saved, they're in the church, but that's not what Paul's talking about. So according to the book of Acts, we get more information about this. And this happened at the Jerusalem Council because they couldn't figure out, they were having a hard time figuring out how come all these Jews, uh, sorry, Gentiles were getting saved and seemingly the church is being infiltrated, so to speak, by Gentiles. Now, it's, the church was, was started out Jewish, but now all these Gentiles are coming to faith and they didn't know what to do with them. And so in the Jerusalem Council, apparently it is revealed at the Jerusalem Council that God is doing something with the Gentiles. You can mark this in the book of Acts. I'll just read it real quick. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 14, they get word from God, from the Holy Spirit, about what is happening about these time, these fullness of the Gentiles. It says that, er, that God is taking out of them, the Gentiles, a people for his name at this point. So because of in Israel's rejection of the Messiah, then now the church is going to carry out the duty of Israel, but the Gentiles, he's going to pull out of the Gentiles those who will respond, and he's going to use this time to pull them out while Israel is in this temporary set-aside or partial unbelief. And so the area, the, the period of time that we occupy right now is called the mystery kingdom. The mystery kingdom occupies the church as well, but the church is not the mystery kingdom. Mystery kingdom started when Israel rejected Messiah year one and a half of his ministry and will continue to the second coming. It's called the mystery kingdom. Okay, in this mystery kingdom, what is happening now is that, yes, a remnant of Jews will continue to respond, but the primary focus now will be the Gentiles, getting them in this, this body of Christ, okay? But, as the Apostle Paul has made note, it will one day end. And when will it end? It'll end at the rapture, like we talked about. When the last Gentile is saved in the church, that ends the fullness of the Gentiles. The complete number has come in during the operation of the church. That doesn't mean that Gentiles won't be saved in the tribulation. They will. We talked about that. But it means that once the fullness of the Gentiles is over, guess what starts happening? He goes back to the Jews. And so this is the idea of the Gentiles having been broken off. He says, Israel was broken off, and you Gentiles can be broken off too. Not believers, but the Gentiles, if they don't respond to the gospel, eventually he's going to be done with them. And that time is growing right now in front of our very eyes, like we talked about, right? And so look what he says in verse 26. Look at the sequential order. That once the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, what happens? Verse 26. The result then 
is that, and so all Israel will be saved. You see the sequential? Notice that fits and totally harmonizes with the end time scenario. That when the church is done, he starts the program with Israel and, and works on their national salvation so they could be grafted back in. And so what should you expect out of this? You should expect as close as we are getting to the, to the end is that you should see not necessarily a revival but the Gentiles not responding anymore to the gospel. That's the sign. Now, I want you to think about something in America. Just use America. One of you guys brought that up last week. I want you to see America's receptivity to the gospel now versus 100 years ago, or, or early 1900s, 1950s, 1940s, 1980s. Have you seen a dramatic drop-off? Absolutely. The stats prove it. So none of us have to guess. The stats show that Americans are not responding to the gospel any longer. It's, yes, people get saved. I'm not talking about that. But I'm, not ta- I'm talking about as a culture on the whole. Fewer and fewer people are going to church. Fewer and fewer people are not identifying as Christians. They're identifying as non, N-O-N, non. More and more people are identifying as non. What's happening? Especially with the younger generations. Why are they not responding to me? Because I think you can marry that with the fullness of the Gentiles are getting ready to... That's, that's it. It's on, done. Time's up. And the Gentile, is a, the branch, is about to be broken off because of unbelief. Stuart. Oh, this is bad. I mean, some people interpret this, Stuart, as like, um, see, all people, all Israel is going to be safe, so we don't need to witness to them. What? That's not what that says. And that doesn't imply that at all. I mean, there's people out there that they believe in dual covenant theology. Have you ever heard of that? Dual covenant theology? I'll explain it. It just goes down a rabbit hole, man. But it's, let me simplify dual covenant theology. Dual covenant theology, like John Hagee used to teach this. He says he doesn't teach it anymore, but he used to. That Israel doesn't need the Messiah. Is that a problem? Yeah, that's a problem. We love the Jews, but we don't love them that much that we would not tell them the truth about you're going to hell if you don't accept your own Messiah, right? So dual covenant theology loves but doesn't give the truth and says, well, no, they're saved under under Abrahamic covenant and they don't need the Messiah. Only the Gentiles need the Messiah. Um, then he, when he said to the Jews, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was talking to the Jews. He wasn't talking to Gentiles. So I don't know how they get that wrong. I, I mean, you obviously can see the problems there, right, in dual covenant theology. Believe it or not, there's people that believe that. So we, they, they'll say, you don't need to witness to the Jews. That's crazy talk. It's, it's a, a spiritual heresy to say that Israel does not need to be saved by them, their own Messiah. That's crazy. So anyway, back to what Stuart's saying, all Israel will be saved. Now, what it does is, if you have to marry this with other passages in Isaiah and, and, and some other passages that go along with this to whittle down what does Paul mean when he says all Israel will be saved. Does he mean that the entire nation in the tribulation will be saved? 
No. What he means is this, that the leftover remnant, which according to Zechariah chapter 13, refers to one-third of Israel surviving the tribulation, two-thirds of Israel will be slaughtered probably by the Antichrist, according to Zechariah 13. And Revelation 12, what does he do? He goes after the, the Jews, doesn't he? He turns on them like a sheep-killing dog, and he's going to wipe them all out. And, and so the one-third ends up being, because they survive, that one-third is the ones that come to faith in the Messiah at the, like, the very end of the tribulation. Now, there's no doubt the 144,000, the two witnesses, Jewish witnesses, are getting Israel prepped, and they're, they're coming to faith, but not as a whole nation. There's, there's groups. They're coming. They're coming. Thousands and thousands and thousands are coming to faith. But it's not the whole nation. You've got to have the whole nation to have national regeneration. So this is happening. It's happening at the beginning of the tribulation. It continues. It continues. It continues. And then three days before the Messiah comes, Israel as a nation gets saved. Three days before the second coming. How do I know that? Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Yeah, so, so the order of, of the two salvations, when I mean salvation, I mean salvation, eternal salvation, and then physical salvation, is the order is always this. You're saved spiritually first, and then you're physically saved. And that's what happens. So what do they do? If you read Hosea chapter 6, 1 through 3, the leaders of Israel call on a three-day fast. They call the nation to repent. They do so. The confession is written in Isaiah 53. If you want to know what Israel confesses, it's Isaiah 53. It's already written for you. You already know what they're going to say. They plead in the Psalms for the skies to be rent, for the Messiah to come down, who rides on a cherub, to come down and physically save them. And he does. But first, they're saved spiritually, according to Zechariah chapter 12, and then they're saved physically, Zechariah chapter 14, Revelation 19. So the order is always that. So again, going back to chapter 10 of of Romans, in the heart one believes and is not saved, justified. But with the mouth one confesses and is sozo, saved. Remember we talked about that? It's referring to Jews. So with the heart you believe, right, and are justified. Justification is the first aspect of salvation. That's what Paul is dealing with. You believe in the Messiah, then you are justified. But if you call on him, confess him, it means you're wanting physical deliverance, which the Jews will need. And so he goes, how can they call on him if they haven't believed? There's the order. You have to believe first, and then you can call on him for physical deliverance. And that's what the second coming is. It's the Israel's physical deliverance from the Antichrist. And the same is true for you and I. The order has to be we believe first, and then we call on Messiah to save us from our own messes, from his disciplining hands, or from the consequences of the messes that we have created. And so when you're suffering, 
because of your own messes or you're suffering because of discipline from the Lord or, you know, these are the consequences of something that you did, you then can call out to Messiah to deliver you. Now, whether he does it or not, that's up to him. He may not. He might listen. No, you're going to, this is the bed you made and you're going to lay in it. But that's the idea of calling out to him. With your mouth, you confess that Jesus is Lord. And confession also has to do with identification with him. Here's the deal, too, with this caveat. If you won't identify with Messiah publicly, then you will not be physically delivered. And that's a guarantee. That is a guarantee. Because you won't identify with him. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It does not mean you're not saved. But if you read John chapter 12, verse 42, what does it say? Many of the religious leaders believed on him, but would not do what? Confess him because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogues. So there's belief on one hand, but they were secret believers. They would not publicly identify with the Messiah. So how you work this all together and understand the big package is this. You believe, yes, but then you want physical deliverance from whatever. I don't know. Disciplining hand of God, consequences, whatever. An addiction, something you got yourself into. I don't know. It could be anything. But what's happened is you have introduced the death principle into your life. The wages of sin is what? Death. So if you commit sin and you don't repent and you don't confess and you don't stop, you start introducing the death principle. And then eventually it gives birth to sin and sin leads to death. So the death principle starts working in your life. You're dying. Your relationships are dying. Everything's dying around you because you won't stop. So then the Lord starts pounding you with discipline. So the idea is you finally surrender and you say, Jesus... Save me from these consequences. Deliver me from this mess that I'm in. Please help me. And that's dependent on whether or not you confess him and whether you're willing to stop and whether he decides how much he stops or how much he lessens it. It's totally up to him. But there are conditions for asking for deliverance. Please understand deliverance is different than salvation. But the Jews didn't use those terms like we do. Many times, like in in the story of Noah, it'll say that Noah saved his family, right? It uses the word salvation. But you obviously could read into that and understand that Noah didn't eternally save his family, did he? That he, he saved them physically. Noah delivered them. So a lot of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have to understand the Jewish background behind this. They're using sozo, that's a Greek word, salvation in interchangeable terms, and it can mean eternal life, and it can mean physical deliverance. So the book of Romans, by the way, the title maybe should be Deliverance from Temporal Wrath is possibly the best title for the book of Romans, is deliverance from temporal wrath. Because he says, what does he say in chapter 1? The wrath of God is what? Being revealed by, by, by what? By those who suppress the truth. So it's being revealed in these people. It's called temporal wrath. 
Now, there's no doubt he talks about salvation. You've got to know the context. But, but here we are right now, and, and he says, and so all Israel will be saved. Well, guess what? What people don't realize when he says sozo in this context, it has two applications. What's the first application? What, do they got to have, what it has to happen to Israel first? They have to believe. So they have to be sozo eternally. The second aspect, they have to be sozo physically. So it has a dual application for Israel when all Israel is saved. And so that's important to understand because if you don't, you will mess up passages and think that the writer is referring to eternal life, and he is not even talking about that, especially the book of James, especially the book of Hebrews. If you don't understand the difference between sozo eternal and sozo deliverance, then you will mess up the Jewish epistles. The Jewish epistles are what? James, Hebrews, First and Second Peter, and what's the other one? Jude. Those five epistles are written strictly to Jews. Now, yes, can we apply to Gentiles? Absolutely, of course. They're written to Jewish believers, so the terminology will be Jewish in the idea of sozo. And what you'll see in the book of James, James is not going to talk, James at all, nowhere, anywhere in the book of James is he talking about eternal life. He is talking about physical deliverance. Chapter 1, I think verse 20 or 21, chapter 5, verse, uh, it's in the 20s somewhere, I can't remember, somewhere in that neighborhood. The bookends of James are talking about physical deliverance. Okay, so let's move on. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. What, what deliverer? Obviously the Messiah, but notice the term deliverer. What will Messiah do when he comes out of Zion? Deliver Israel. From who? The Antichrist. So Paul is wrapping up the physical deliverance involved in this. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. What's that a reference to? What kind of sozo? Is that physical deliverance he just said? What is that? That's salvation. Did you see both aspects? He's dealing with both aspects. So don't conflate them as Calvinists do. He's he's separating the two out. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, which is that second part. Um, When he takes away their sins, how does he take them away? Because they believe. But then he, the, the, the deliverer will come out of Zion. That's a reference to physical deliverance, and the second part is spiritual deliverance. Now, verse 28. Concerning the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, and we'll talk about that, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Now, the idea of concerning the gospel, they, the, the, and let's, let's, let's make sure we understand the they, the unbelieving element of Israel, okay? Because the saved element of Israel are not our enemies, so to speak. Now, we're not talking about combative enemies. We're not talking about physical enemies. That's the mistake of the Crusades. That's the mistake of replacement theology. That's the mistake of the Catholic Church. Because that sanctioned, that passage right there sanctioned a lot of the Crusades going down and killing Jews. Okay? And Martin Luther and all these other people that said, look, they're fair game. They're enemies of the cross. Let's go get them. They're Christ killers, that type of stuff, right? That's a total misunderstanding of this passage. It's not talking about like physical enemies. They're not your enemies. He is talking on a different level spiritually. 
So let's unpack that. Concerning what? There is the context. How are they our enemies? Concerning the gospel. And you can't go beyond that. Did you see what that just did? Paul set the context and says, you can't be anti-Semitic. I'm speaking concerning only the gospel are they our enemies. Okay, so then spiritually, according to the gospel, how are they the enemies of, of, of things spiritually? What does that mean? What does that mean? They're enemies because of unbelief. They're enemies because they don't receive their own Messiah spiritually. Why are they enemies? It's not so much enemies of us. It's an enemy of God. Anyone, anyone, Jew nor Gentile, who refuses to come to faith through the Messiah has now made themselves an enemy of who? God. Because why? God has said, I have provided. Here he is. Here's my son. He is the way of salvation. He is the Jewish king. And you have to come through him if you want salvation. But if you refuse, you make yourself my enemy. You see how that works? It's not our enemy. It's in terms vertically what's happening. Whether it's Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make a difference. If you decide to work your way to heaven, you are trampling on the blood of the Messiah. You're saying it's not good enough for you. Do you see how this is mistaken in history? How that passage was totally taken off? Do you see now how Calvinists can keep misquoting this, these passages and push replacement theology? Say, God's done with the Jews. Look at their enemies of the cross. Blah, 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 blah. And not understand it's in context for the gospel. The gospel. What's the gospel, by the way? Good news, right? And the good news is what? Three, there's three aspects according to Apostle Paul in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. What are the three aspects? Death, burial, resurrection. That's the good news. But let's get specific. When we say the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah is good news, good news for what? It's good news and it is evidence. It is the evidence behind Messiah's promise that if anyone believes in me, I will give them eternal life. So if someone was to counter that with an argument saying, what's your proof? Messiah would say, my death, my burial, and my resurrection is the proof that I can give eternal life. So see how that works? The real aspect is the promise of the Messiah. You're believing Messiah for the promise based on the evidence of the death, burial, and resurrection. That's how that works. And so that's what he's referring to here. Now, he moves on. Is everyone good on that one so far? Okay, so you're an enemy of God. Now, okay, let me do one more quick application. Hang with me. Let me turn to James real quick. This enemy of God thing... Can a believer become an enemy of God if they're saved and all that? And Really? Are you sure, Jerry? I heard Jerry say it the loudest. If you love the world. If you love the world. Is she right? Is, is that in the Bible? You hope. <laughs> all right. Hezekiah chapter 2. No, I mean James 
four. There is no Hezekiah. <laughs> Jesse was turning. <laughs> look, he's looking. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of James. Adulterers and adulteresses. He's talking to believers, Jewish believers. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. Case closed. Now, do you understand in the now, in the spiritual context, what enemy of God means? You can be one as a believer because you become worldly. Obviously, the world in unbelief is an enemy of God, right? You don't become uh, a friend of God by being an unbeliever because you're refusing his son. So that's a, that's a point of application for believers as well. You can put yourself in that state as well. It doesn't mean you lose salvation. It just means you're worldly and you're, you're no friend of God at that point. You're an enemy of God because you're working against him, Okay. Let's continue on. But concerning the election, who's the election? Who's the elect ones? What has he been referring to? The called out ones of Israel are the remnant of Israel. Now, I don't want to go over the same ground, but remember, you get called after you get saved. That's according to Matthew 22. It's according to even the Apostle Paul. That's according to Ephesians and all that. You get called after you're saved. Okay, so we already know that. So when he refers to the elected ones... These are the Jewish believers who have come to faith in the Messiah. Now, what does he say? They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Huh. What's that about? They're loved because of the sake of the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What's the deal with connecting their loved for the patriarchs? What does that have to do with that? Remember I talked about covenants? Remember I talked about covenants? Uh, Yes. The promises or the covenants that God made through the patriarchs is being demonstrated that God is still going to make good on his promises. And the evidence of that is the Jewish remnant that continues to believe. They're not forced to believe, but God has always had a believing Jewish remnant, and they are the sign that God's going to make good on the covenants made to the patriarchs. That's what he's saying. And that's good news for us, because you know what? We have a lot of promises made to us by God, even as Gentiles, that are going to come true in the future that are according to the being in the, 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 um, the trunk of the tree, being grafted in as wild olive shoots. So when you see believing Jews, you should say, hallelujah, God is keeping his promises, and there is the faithful witness of God through time. And the fact that there's, there's Jews in the church and in this world, and there's more and more that are happening... It's a sign saying, I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to fulfill this. I mean, think about it. As a people group, the Jews, by all conventional wisdom, should not exist. 
The Hittites don't exist. Philistines don't exist. Even though Yasser Arafat said he was a Philistine, he's not. It's a liar. There's no Philistines. There's no, there's no Amorites. They're gone. The fact that the Jews exist throughout history and are here with us today is a testimony of the covenantal promises of God. That's it. You can't get past that. That's what Paul is saying. They're beloved of the fathers. Now let's continue on. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Wait, 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 wait. Who's that passage for? The gifts and calling. Is that just something I can claim? Who's he talking to about? Israel. So he's he's making the point, look, the gifts of Israel and the calling of Israel are irrevocable. What was the interlocutor, the arguer saying? He's saying, look, God's done with Israel. It's over. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Because God made a promise, because he said he would use them to be a light to the Gentiles, which still haven't come to fruition yet, he will make good on that. So their calling is irrevocable. It doesn't change. So let's do an application. I think all of you can understand that. That ensures right there Israel's future. Right there. But... Can you apply something to you and I as well? Yes. In a secondary sense, the calling of us, the gifting that is given the church, you have gifts individually, you have been called to something, it is irrevocable. So that not only implies eternal salvation, or we call it, um, well, I don't want to use the cliche, once saved, always saved. Um, what, where am I missing it? I'm, I'm Eternal security. Thank you. It implies eternal security, not perseverance of the saints. That's Calvinism. It implies eternal security. But then it implies this, that whatever God has gifted you for and has called you according to your ability and those gifts, it never goes away. Never. You will never be able to run from your calling. It will always stay on you. Now, you cannot do your calling and go mess around, but you're never going to get away from that burden that he's put on you, the gifting he's put on you. You're never going to get away from it. Do you know how many guys I talked to, older gentlemen, that knew they were called to ministry and didn't want to go? And you know what happens when they're in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s, and I'm talking to them, and they live a totally different life than what they were called to do. They are absolutely miserable completely depressed. They feel they've wasted their life. And in effect, they have because they buried their talent. And so they get at the end of their life with all these regrets, and they know they're going into eternity pretty soon, and a lot of the rewards are going to be gone because the Messiah is the first thing he's going to ask them, did you do what I called you to do? Did you use the gifts that I called you to use? And they're going to say, no, because I love this world too much. What do you mean? Well, let me tell you what their excuses are. I will say, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you go to seminary? I just knew it wouldn't make the kind of money that I wanted to have. Yeah. Unless you're Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen, you're making millions of dollars because they're apostates. You don't go into ministry because you're going to get rich. Okay, it's just not, not something that's very lucrative, okay? So the love of the world and the love of the money of the world prevented them. They said, well, I just don't want to put up my family like that. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, 
I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to go through the demands of that, and, and so uh, I shied away from it. And I said, now do you regret it? Yeah, I regretted it. And they'll make things up like that, you know, or not make it up, but I mean, that's what their excuses are. And you're thinking, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and knew that I had a call for something and didn't do it because I like this over here or I prefer to do this. I'm telling you guys, the calling on your life and the gifting is irrevocable. It's never pulled away from you. Never. It's always on you, just like it's on Israel. And so my challenge on this before we leave is you must find what he's called you to do. You must discover your gifts and you must develop those gifts in order to answer your call because your call and your gifting actually match. So I want you to think about that. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.